Well, good morning. So we are in 2 Samuel, continuing our journey through that book. And we'll just do a recap like we usually do. So how did we get here? How did we get to 2 Samuel 11? Well, it's fair to say that I, I would classify 1 Samuel and the first half of 2 Samuel as really a story around David. And, and I know that Saul is a big part of 1 Samuel, but I would argue that he's not the main character. Uh, of course, you would say God is the main character, but I would say the main human character um, who this story is about is David. And it is his development as a leader, as a king, and as kind of the... the um, progenitor to the future Messiah that we know as Jesus, who is a direct descendant of David, um, uh, through the story of of the Hebrews and the Israelites 3,000 years ago. And so where are we in time? And I draw this, and I I kind of threatened Emma this morning. I'm like, you look, she comes in and looks at this every morning. I'm like, I'm going to quiz you on this. So let that be a warning. There may be a quiz, pop quiz, at some point. This is important, somewhat. It's important for its relative nature. Um, the, the exact dates are not as important, but where are we? Well, Jesus, born somewhere around 1 BC, is probably 4 BC. We're, of course, in 2021. I don't have to tell you that, AD. We should be way out here. So go all the way back in your time machine. This is 2,000 years. And we're going to go another 1,000 years from that to 1,000 BC. So this is the Iron Age. What does the Iron Age mean? Essentially, um, in prehistory, which is that period of our history in which writing there was not a lot of written material about the records of humanity of the period. Um, somewhere around the time of the Romans and the Greeks of the Koine Greek period, we would say history begins. Why? Because people deliberately start making an attempt to record history of of the people of the time or people of the past, and we have those records available to us today. They've been passed down through copies over generations. So somewhere around in this area here, we say that history begins. And history only doesn't mean like the earth, it just means written record of the past. But before that, written records of the past are very sparse or non-existent. So scientists and archaeologists and historians have no other way to classify those periods except by the kinds of stuff they dig up from the ground. And what do they dig up from the ground? Artifacts, pottery, inscriptions, sometimes if they're lucky, writing maybe on papyrus um, <clears throat> or, or uh, inscriptions in clay and pot shards. But that is, that is fairly rare. And so you tend to classify prehistory by the kinds of stuff you find based on the technology of the time. Well, what kinds of technology were people using in the time of David? Well, the most advanced technology of the period is the harnessing of iron and steel, the technology to create iron and steel weapons, tools, armor, implements. Before that, before we learned, we as a, as a uh, humanity learned to use iron, we learned to use bronze, which is a, an alloy of copper and tin. Before that, we, we learned to use stone, right? Stone hand axes and pickaxes, and you just, you know, uh, you use stone or bone. Um, and so we are in the period of the Iron Age, about 1000 BC, and we're talking about David. David, probably the archetype for the great kings of Israel, right? Or, or what you would say, the greatest king of Israel. A man after God's own heart. And, and really the, the record of, of what we have recorded in First and Second Samuel up to what we're going to talk about today is really kind of the zenith of David in a sense. What do I mean by that? What we've read about until today is really this part here. David's rise. The, the attributes that David displayed that made him a man after God's own heart. <coughs> What are some of these things? 
an eager holy warrior, meaning not afraid to go out and battle the enemies of Israel, to defend their territory, to protect their purity of their religion, um, to keep their people safe. Um, <clears throat> he marries honorably, and of course I put this in, in quotes, and, as, and if, for those of you who have been here for the past few weeks, you know that this is a little bit of a honorably, uh, at least he marries. Um, it makes the case that when he decides that he wants to be with a woman, he marries her in kind of the traditional sense. Um, we argue that um, God was very explicit that, Nick, come on in, brother. No, it's all good. How's it going? Not too bad. What's your name? What is it? Ned. Ned. All right. I'm Brian. Nice to meet you. Yeah. This is awesome. Well, feel free to, to take a seat uh, anywhere you'd like. I don't spit too much, so you can come up to the front if you want to. We're just talking about 2 Samuel, and we're talking about the rise of King David from the Old Testament. So we're going through 2 Samuel today, and, and we're talking about David, the King David, and how he became kind of this man after God's own heart, and some of the characteristics of, of David. And so, um, as you'll remember, there were several times where, and, and just to back up, the first anointed king of Israel is a man named Saul chosen by God to lead the people of Israel, all 12 tribes, and this of course is my terrible map of the region, but all the tribes that inhabit this region that is modern day Israel, Saul was anointed to lead those people in battle, militarily, and through a bureaucracy. Saul messed up on several occasions, and God finally decided he was going to change the kingdom, the kingship. He was going to take Saul away and his house away from ruling Israel, and he was going to give it to David and his house or his descendants. But even while Saul is still on the throne and David is still kind of in waiting, Saul made several attempts to kill David out of jealousy, out of spite, out of fear. And yet on several occasions, David had the opportunity to rid himself of Saul, and he didn't. He chose on at least two occasions that we know about. When he had Saul sleeping in front of him or relieving himself in the cave, David could have killed him right then and there and been rid of his enemy. And in fact, his friends were telling him, David, kill Saul because you'll be rid of your enemy and you'll be on the throne and no one else will, will challenge you. And he didn't. He said, who am I to kill the anointed king of Israel? This is in God's hands, not mine. And that just shows you the kind of character of this guy it was very different than what you would think today, <laughs> you know, and even in the past. He was a decisive leader. He made decisions and he stuck with them. He prayed to God. How many times did we read about David saying, I have a problem. I have an issue I need to deal with. I'm going to go to God and I'm going to ask God for his guidance. And God answers his prayers because David went to God in a, in a humble and effective manner and his prayer was effective. He was fearless. Fearless when outnumbered. The very first story we have of David is going up against whom? Goliath. David and Goliath. The Philistines had outnumbered the Israelites. Goliath was nine feet tall, uh, you know, wearing these hundreds of pounds of iron armor. He was fearless. He went up against that guy, didn't care. He knew God was on his side, and he was able to attract thousands of followers through his charisma, the sign of a great leader. So all of that happens over the past few chapters that we've been talking, and then we kind of hit what we call the zenix or the apex today. 
which is now the story of David and Bathsheba that we're going to talk about today. And really kind of the challenges that David now goes through as a human being, because he's not perfect, in dealing with probably his more <laughs> realistic human side. And so I would like a volunteer, please, to read 2 Samuel 11. We're going to read the whole thing, which is 1 through 27. Who would like to read that for me? I would. Thank you, sir. Ned, go ahead, sir. Can I find it real quick? Yep. Ready when you are. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and beside Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Did I say that right? Yes, sir. Okay. It happened late one afternoon. When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof of a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful and David sent and inquired about the woman and one said it's not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam the wife of Uriah the Hittite so David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her now she had been purifying herself from her uncleaning, uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent to, and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to, the, to, to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said, David, the ark in Israel and Judah dwell in the booth dwell in booths and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field shall I then go to my house to eat to drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives I will not do this thing then David said to Uriah remain here today also and tomorrow I will send you back so Uriah remained in Jerusalem and that day and the next and David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the e evening, he went out to lie on his couch with servants of, the, of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent, sent it by the hand of Uriah. And the letter he wrote set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was beginning the city, was beside the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant, valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. 
sorry. Also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger arises, if the king anger rises, and if he says to you, why did you go to go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know what? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Do I read twenty-one too? Yeah, just um, all the way to the end of twenty-seven. Yeah. I'm sorry. Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerob? That's a mouthful. Yeah, Jerob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jerob. Yeah. Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at the, the best? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she lamented, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Thank you. Nope, I'm very good. Yeah. <coughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Thoughts, reactions. There's a lot of covering up. <laughs> okay. It's, it's pretty uh, harsh to send his note of his death, like... The, the note to kill him, he had to carry it himself to Joab. Like, yep. that's cold. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about some guy here. We're talking about David. David. The problem is like the very first verse where he mm-hmm. says, in the spring when the kings normally go out to war, Tell me what that means. David stayed home. So... In the spring, the kings go out to war. They don't fight in the winter when it's raining and yucky. They go out in the spring. And so he didn't go out with them. He decided he could stay home. But when you stay home, then you have a lot of extra time on your hands. (laughs) We make this case that in the past, um, the kings, it's not like today where the general, well, excuse me, let's say the president of the United States is conducting a war against another country. Um, And and on it goes. Um, How often does that president go put on a helmet, sit on the front of a tank, and is at the front of a battalion of soldiers attacking some city. How often does that happen? Never, it never happens anymore. This is totally foreign to us today, but in the past, in antiquity, that was the only way it happened. The king was expected to be the, the top general of the army. He was in command of the army, and he would go out to battle every year, and he would be at the front of the, of the line. And, and this is how a lot of kings died in antiquity, because they would go out and they would actually die in battle. This is how um, Josiah 
one of the most righteous uh, men, uh, uh, kings, descendants of David, you will read about in Kings, later on in history dies. He goes out to, to fight Necho II, the pharaoh of Egypt, and he dies on the battlefield in Megiddo, um, which is just right up here <clears throat> in a whole convoluted thing. So this happens all the time. So it is extremely unusual to read this first sentence. This, this is... This stands right out. And if you are reading this as an ancient scribe or Hebrew, you're like, red flag, huge red flag right there. Huge red flag. And then it gets at what Laura is saying, which is, if you could expand on it. Just if you stay at home, then you have a lot of time on your hands that you need to fill with something. And yep. <laughs> a lot of times, you, if you have time on your hands, you fill it with things that you shouldn't be doing rather than things you should be doing. <clears throat> well, that's an old saying. Uh, and if I can, idle hands are the devil's playground. <laughs> the devil's playground. How many people have heard that before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude, you sit around waiting for something to happen. This is why my parents said you should not be home alone after school when you're a teenager. <laughs> they were right. Now I have teenagers, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not going to work. Uh, we're humans, right? And and sitting around um, with no one watching you sometimes is a recipe for huge disaster. What is another problem with this from a military perspective? And, and uh, <clears throat> let me see here. I think maybe we'll read it in 12. No? We read it here, don't we? Um, what is the problem with... Uh, David has a general attacking Rabah here. What ha- what, what's the problem when that general starts to win? Who then becomes the victor? And who then becomes the guy who then is the, the one who's actually in charge? The general. The general general is the guy who's defeating the enemy. He's the one that's about to take that city. Guess who all the people are going to say is their leader? Folks, this is not like today where you you cast votes for somebody and that becomes your leader. No one casts votes in antiquity. The leader is the guy with the biggest army who's the most successful and usually has the most money and power. Okay? It was extremely common, and this happened in Rome, um, uh, you know, about a thousand years later that the Caesar um, would be on the throne, the leader of the Romans would be on the throne, the emperor, but his generals would be the one winning wars. And this is exactly how Julius Caesar got into this situation he was in. He was the one winning all of the battles in Europe. And eventually the people said, no, Julius Caesar is our leader, not some guy, you know, elected uh, uh, senator on the throne in Rome. It's, it's the guy who's winning all the battles. And so this is, this is setting up for a very, very dangerous situation for David to have this kind of thing happening. Religiously, what is going on here? He didn't, he's not going to God for help or for answers or guidance. He messed up and he just tried to cover up and cover up again, cover up a third time. (laughs) Never prayed about it. Why wouldn't he pray about it? Because he did it wrong. What are you going to get? You're going to get told the truth. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say that there's a, a pretty great level of shame here for mm-hmm. David as he sat at home knowing he was supposed to be out yeah. leading the people. Yeah. And when shame creeps into my life, I tend to grab up what I can yeah. to feel better about myself. Yeah. Uh, let's call it damage control. <laughs> I met a guy at a, at a conference once who was in charge of um, 
customer relations, and he handed me his business card, and it said, so-and-so damage control. <laughs> I thought, that's perfect. That's exactly it. What happens when you sin? And, and look, this is kind of like those lies. Ooh, remember this. Back in 1 Samuel, it was David. Um, a little tiny lie or misrepresentation of the truth, no matter how noble your intentions of the time, can lead to disastrous consequences. What is the snowball effect? You tell one lie or you do something wrong, and then suddenly what happens? The shame comes in, you're convicted, and then you've got to cover it up, then you've got to fix it. What's going to happen when <laughs> Uriah finds out about this? What happens when the troops find out about this? It's not just going to be Uriah and his family that are worried. Then we got damage control. Then we got to start covering it up. And then what happens? It's a vicious cycle. Look at this, folks. It does this. Go ahead. Yeah, because he, like Joab, makes it sound like, you know, like the Joab and the troops. They know that you don't go up to a city wall because no. that woman threw a thing down. She'll drop a stone on a Bimelech's head, and, and so kill they, him. Yeah. They, the, the troops know we're doing something that we don't doesn't do make sense. as a normal tactic. Yep. This doesn't make sense to us. And then yep. hey, are people like. Uriah the Hittite was one of the yeah. elite fighting force. Of Why was he an elite fighter? Why do we think that he was an important person? Tell me. What evidence do you have? In Chronicles, it like lists, all, like, I don't remember if he's a, I don't know, the 12, or the, David has different groups of people that like, called the three and mm -hmm. the 12, or whatever, and Uriah's in a list of one of those That's great. People. That's That's great. What evidence here do you have that he's an important person? <clears throat> it kind of sticks right out. Where is David? He's in his, we call palace, it's in his residence, right? Mm -hmm. How close is Uriah living to this guy? Very close. Visual. If you live next to the king, you're an important person. People at the bottom of the totem pole do not have a house right next to the king. Mm -hmm. So that you can infer, Uriah is a pretty special guy. He's at the top. He's not just some lowly guy. What does, it, what does it mean when... So now David's going through this whole thing here. Go to your house and wash your feet. What is he telling Uriah to do? Yeah. Don't wash your feet. It's not washing your feet. <laughs> <laughs> he wants him to go in. Now, I have to think that Uriah is a fairly smart guy. If he's as, if he's as high up, and he's, a, he's an elite fighter, he's, he is in the top ranks of the Israelite army, he can't be a dumb idiot. All of a sudden, the king recalls you to your home in the middle of, of war. What is, is that a red flag to you? Mm -hmm. Then he says, hey, why don't you go home and sleep with your wife? What is Uriah thinking right now? I mean, he can't be that dumb. It's an odd request. Something seems fishy. What? <laughs> and what does Uriah do? Stays right there by the king. Thinks of his men. It's, it's starting to sound like someone else is acting like David here. <laughs> a noble character who's like, mm, that doesn't sound right, and I'm not going to go home and sleep with my wife while my men are on the battlefield dying. I'm going to go sleep on a mat with my, with my troops. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's very high honor, I think. I mean, mm -hmm. I put myself in that situation. I'd be like, stop it at home. Be there in five minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See? Exactly. Exactly. The, uh, so... So if word, word gets out that when you're off to war, the king is messing around with your wife. Yep. yep. Kind of troubles that. Kings are falling for that kind of thing. 
How do we know that the baby is David's? Look, I'm not trying to be crass here. The, the text confirms it. Why does the text confirm that that's his baby? Verse 4, what does it say? She was bathing after a monthly cycle. That's it. Let's just call it what it is. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Folks, read Deuteronomy. There are specific laws for women when they have their monthly cycle. And that is, you are unclean for seven days, and then after that you have to go through this ritual washing to clean yourself from your, your physical and religious impurity. The fact that she just had her monthly cycle means she wasn't pregnant before that. So I think the text is trying to be very clear here about what's going on. It's, it's not trying to leave anything to the imagination. Well, <laughs> maybe it's leaving a lot to the imagination, but um, <clears throat> I think it's trying to be very specific about what's happening. Who, who wrote this again? So... Tradition would tell you that who wrote it? The title. Yeah, Samuel. But, but it's not him because he's dead. Right. So <laughs> there are clues in the text that suggest it was written sometime either... Let me put it to you this. This is a whole rabbit hole. Oh, I don't want to... It was written by many people over many years. Yeah. That, that I'm going to give you that answer now. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and edited and, and coalesced after David and Solomon. So... Good question, though. That's a great question. That's a question I would ask. Yeah. Say it again. Could be Nathan, maybe. I mean, certainly. Yeah. Part of it. Yeah. Rabah. Maybe you haven't put this together. Rabah is modern-day Amman, Jordan. Where does the word Amman come from? The Ammonites. That's. Rabah, it's, it's there. Um, there's a huge archaeological dig there, and you can, uh, well, you know, Jordan is fairly open to the west, um, probably a little easier to access than other sites. Um, you can go and find the city of Rabah from the, you know, the kingdom of the Ammonites from 3,000 years ago. Fascinating, uh, fascinating place. <clears throat> uh, what else do you take from this? I know it's, uh, it's, it seems fairly straightforward. Well, how does this impact you? As a, as a Christian, as a believer, when you read something like this, what is, what is your gut reaction here? My gut reaction is that we're all human. We all have tendencies towards sin, even someone that God called, you know, someone after his own heart. I mean, he still had flaws. He still yep. had <clears throat> sin in his life. Yep. <clears throat> Redemption is... Massive. It's, it's. It doesn't take anything into account. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. like all except for. Yeah. You know. I mean, I could sit here and say I have never done anything this bad, but there's no delineation between this bad and my bad. I don't know how you could get much worse, <clears throat> folks, than what has happened here. Through lies, coveting, adultery, deceit, murder. This is murder, folks. I think it even goes beyond that because if you look at, let's look at Bathsheba's situation. Yep. Here she is. She's got the king hmm? wanting to sleep <clears throat> with her. If she says no, that's punishable by death. Mm -hmm. If she says yes, she's committing adultery, and that's punishable by death. Yep. So he's put her in a terrible situation. It's, it's more than just a man and a woman 
you know, cheating on their spouse yeah. and then trying to cover it up, it's, it's even worse than that, I think. I agree with you, Steve. I, I would also posit that as you read the rest of first, uh, Second Samuel and then um, a little bit of Kings, you sort of get a better picture of who Bathsheba is. She may not be the innocent, naive woman we might take her for. Um, <clears throat> as you read on, you find she's very cunning. She's, she, is, she is very shrewd. She organizes it so that her son Solomon, who is nowhere near the top of a line of succession. Folks, I gave you this, this handout. I'll give it to you again. Yeah. <clears throat> I want you to look on here at where Solomon shows up in the birth order of the, ch of the sons of David that we at least have a record for. You can go ahead and look at that. It's pretty far down. It's about middle of the list. She organizes a campaign to ensure that her son is the one that, that takes the throne. Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't want to be crass, but she was bathing in the nude on top of her house knowing the king was home at the time. Now, I, don't get me wrong. This could have been a complete fluke. She may have had no idea the king was home. She may have had no idea that the king was out there and could have been looking at her. Um, when you're bathing in the nude, um, certainly if you are the wife of a, of a uh, top general, you have servants who are attending you. And yet somehow she is not covered up. Um, you know, I, I guess what I'm getting at is I don't disagree with you. I think there's a lot more to it. Um, and I think, the, the, I think the writer here is trying to make the case that it takes two to tango. But also, he has all the power, though. Yeah, agree. Totally agree with and, this. Um, he, because of that, he and he's leading all the people. Yep. So right now, he's leading her to sin. Whether she yep. was, you know, flaunting it or whatever, like it's kind of like the Garden of Eden. Like Adam didn't have to take the fruit, but Eve offered it to him, and he decided. <laughs> Have it too. And I'll argue yeah. on the side of, of Steve here and say there's a lot of people that are kind of screwed between a rock and a hard place. Um, what is what is the main general going to do if he disobeys David here and doesn't kill Uriah? He's he's screwed. Um, Bathsheba doesn't sleep with him. She's in big trouble. Um, you know, it, the list goes on and on. I think it's something to be said that sometimes we are put in a very difficult situation and it's very easy to understand how we would make a human judgment to kind of do what what is kind of the best way out for us but sometimes it's not the right way out for us that's also kind of an example of we think like i'm sure david thought that this sin yeah affected him right you know i'm sinning it's just me you know but it, yeah. it, it affected bathsheba it affected uriah ah, this it is affected, a really good um joab because now he has to like kill some you know do bad strategic maneuvers to get somebody killed you know, well, it's affecting lots of people. Yeah. Not only that, I mean, it gets more people killed than just your eyes. Oh my <clears> gosh. <throat> this is yeah, it. It just keeps, mm -hmm. like you said, snowballing. Yep. It's almost enough to get your Twitter account suspended. Human Uriah. Um, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, your point about Bathsheba is well taken in that. You know, she manipulates and gets yeah. Solomon kind of to the top of the list. I, I kind of look, look at that as similar to Rebecca. Ah, okay. And Jacob yep. and Esau. I agree I mean, with Esau this. had like the this. right, and yep. Jacob took it over. But in the end, that's who God wanted. So in the I end, agree with this. God wanted yep. Solomon. So he, I think he used 
used Rebecca, mm -hmm. used Bathsheba, mm -hmm. and whatever cunning ways they might have had to get the people he chose to the top of the line. Just two chapters ago, we talked about <clears throat> Mephibosheth, who all of a sudden found himself at the king's table, and here we are two chapters <coughs> later with Bathsheba, who mm -hmm. found herself at the king's table. Yeah. I like that. I mean, that's that's God's economy right there, yep. in my mind, is that mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter how he gets you where he wants you, he gets yep. you there. I like that. No, I love this. I think this is an excellent argument. I like that. What else? I mean, <laughs> we could probably talk all day about this, and we've got to read the next chapter, but any, any final thoughts here as we go on? <clears throat> Um, let's go ahead and read chapter 12. We'll do the whole thing here. It's 1, 2, what is that, 31. Who can read that whole thing for me? I can do that. Thank you, ma'am. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to David, he said, There were two men in a city. One was rich, but the other was poor. The rich man had many sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little female lamb that he had bought. The poor man fed the lamb, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup and slept in his arms. The lamb was like a daughter to him. Then a traveler stopped to visit the rich man. The rich man wanted to feed the traveler, but he didn't want to take one of his own sheep or cattle. Instead, he took the lamb from the poor man and cooked it for his visitor. David became very angry at the rich man. He said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this, did, who did this should die. He must pay for the lamb four times for doing such a thing. He had no mercy. Then Nathan said to him, said to David, You are that man. This is what the Lord, of, the God of Israel says. I appointed you the king of Israel, and I saved you from Saul. I gave you his kingdom and his wives, and I made you king of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you even more. So why did you ignore the Lord's command? Why did you do what he says is wrong? You killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and took his wife to be your wife. Now there will always be people in your family who will die by the sword because you did not respect me. You took the wife of Uriah the Hittite for yourself. This is what the Lord says. I am bringing trouble to you from your own family. While you watch, I will take your wives from you and give them to someone who is very close to you. He will have sexual relations with your wives and everyone will know it. You had sexual relations with Bathsheba in secret, but I will do this so all the people of Israel can see it. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan answered, The Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. But what you did caused the Lord's enemies to lose all respect for him. For this reason, the son who was born to you will die. Then Nathan went home, and the Lord caused the son of David and Bathsheba, Uriah's widow, to be very sick. David prayed to God for the baby. David refused to eat or drink, and he went into his house and stayed there lying on the ground all night. The older leaders of David's family came to him and tried to pull him up from the ground, but he refused to get up or eat or or to eat food with them. On the seventh day, the baby died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the baby was dead. They said, look, we tried to talk to David while the baby was alive, but he refused to listen to us. If we tell him the baby is dead, then he may do something awful. When David saw his servants whispering, he knew that the baby was dead, so he asked them, is the baby dead? They answered, yes, he is dead. So then David got up from the floor, washed himself, and put lotions on, and changed his clothes. Then he went to the Lord's house to worship. After that, he went home and asked for something to eat. His servants gave him some food, and he ate. David's servant said to him, Why are you doing this? When the baby was still alive, you refused to eat, and you cried. 
but now that the baby is dead, you get up and eat food. David said, while the baby was still alive, I refused to eat and I cried. I thought, who knows, maybe the Lord will feel sorry for me and let the baby live. But now that the baby is dead, why should I go without food? I cannot bring him back to life. Someday I will go to him, but he cannot come back to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He slept with her and had sexual relations with her. She became pregnant again and he had and had another son whom David named Solomon. The Lord loved Solomon. The Lord sent word through Nathan the prophet to name the baby Jedidiah, because the Lord loved the child. Joab fought against Rabbah, a royal city of the Ammonites, and he was about to capture it. Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and have captured its water supply. Now bring the other soldiers together and attack this city. Capture it before I capture it myself, and it is called by my name. So David gathered all the army and went to Rabbah and fought against it and captured it. David took the crown off their king's head and had placed it on his own head. The gold crown weighed about 75 pounds and it had valuable gems in it. And David took many valuable things from the city. He also brought out the people of the city and forced them to work with saws, iron picks, and axes. He also made them build with bricks. David did this to all the Ammonite cities. And then David and all his army returned to Jerusalem. Thoughts? Just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? <laughs> There's a, another layer of God's character revealed, I think, in the first 20, what, 23 verses there. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a little disturbing to whoever's talking to him here that he fasted and everything while the child was alive, and then he died, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, well, everything's good now. <clears throat> but I, I think that really shows God's love, steadfast love for us, for David in this situation where, and David got that. Mm -hmm. He kind of grasped that, that, yep, God, God didn't, he, he, he was true to what was said to happen, that there's going to have to be bloodshed for his sins, but then when it happened, he was like, oh, okay, that's, <clears throat> I mean, I, I struggle a lot of times during communion time because yeah. I, you know, this cup and this bread is got, you know, Jesus' body, Jesus' blood that was spilled for me. And I, I get this, like, oh my gosh, that's so terrible. And at the same time, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, that he would do that for me. And I, I, I see David get that here. Mm -hmm. Like, wow. Even though I mm -hmm. was, did all these things. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it this way, <laughs> and this would transform society if people would deal with it this way. Stop sulking. Get over yourself. Learn your lesson and move on. Guess what David did? <clears throat> he was like, "Well, I was wrong. Time to move on. Get over yourself." How many of us do that on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> How many of us learn our lesson and go, oh, "You know what?" Person with a great argument, you were right. I'm wrong. I love you, brother. Have a nice day. <laughs> that has never happened in the history of the universe. <laughs> never happened. Why not? Why not? Stop sulking and get over yourself. And I like this part that you're saying, Ken, which I agree with too. God does have mercy. Guess what? He let you off the hook, David, because you're going to live. And he decided to keep his covenant with you, which is your descendants will still have an eternal <clears throat> kingdom over the world and over the people of Israel. I'm not going to take that away from you. Guess what? That was mercy. Mm -hmm. That was mercy. 
But he's also a just God. He also threw in punishments yeah. for David's household that yes. his descendants yes. will die by the sword. Yes. What does that tell you about God? What does that tell you about forgiveness versus repercussions? Because this is something I think people have a trouble with too. Just because you get forgiveness of sin doesn't mean there aren't repercussions, to use your word. I mean, there are consequences. Yeah. I mean, a person can be in jail and turn their life over to yeah. Christ. It doesn't mean they don't have to serve out their, their right. penalty. Right. Um, same way with whatever sin you're... you're or you, let's use another example. Say you, you, know, you back into someone's car at the parking lot at, at Jordan Creek <coughs> during Christmas, right? Not that that's happened to me or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just hypothetically. Uh, you know, you may that person may get out of the car and be like, totally get it. Things are crazy. There was some ice. You didn't see me. I forgive you, but someone's got to pay for this bumper. You know, maybe I can't even drive my car. How am I going to drive my car, right? And you can forgive them and be like, I totally forgive you, but you still got to, in some cases, pay a price. Now, I will say this. That doesn't extend to the eternal realm. And why do I mean that? Because if you truly accept Jesus as your Savior and you are his disciple, then you're going to get off the hook for the biggest thing in the universe that really does matter. What really does matter is you should go to hell. Every single person in here, as I look at you, you should go to hell. Go to hell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you believe in me and you take my cup and you eat my, my bread and you make it a part of you, guess what? I'm going to let you off the hook even though you do not deserve it. You and do that's something to celebrate. Whew. Amen, brother. I mean, yeah. Ronnie said that his descendants would die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like this. Sorry. You know, check my memory, but I'm pretty sure Jesus is a descendant of David's. Yeah. Ultimately. <clears throat> celebrate God's grace. How often, how often do we celebrate God's grace? <laughs> or just complain about his lack of being a vending machine? I don't know. I'm being cynical today, and I love this. This is great. <laughs> celebrate God's grace. Woo! I mean, there are earthly consequences for yeah. your sin, and um, but we can't lose sight, yeah. and we can't forget the bigger grace and mercy that we've been given, even though we might be suffering through some earthly consequences. Why does God allow bad things to happen to you, especially if you're a believer? He Say it louder. He doesn't. Ooh, okay. He doesn't allow bad things to happen to you. What do you mean by that? Um, God saves you. Okay. Um, is it safe to say the devil? I mean, I feel like God gives you free choice of will, mm -hmm. but God saves you. Sometimes it's, I feel like it's not, we do it to ourselves. Oh, I love this. This is great, Ned. And um, when great. we do it to ourselves, he <coughs> give us the, the way out to save ourselves, yep. like he'll save us, or we'll go this way on our own understanding, not his. I love this. This would fit with the model of Job. And, I, and, and it, let's, let's use what Ned is saying here as kind of a, um, a construct to explain what's happening. Let's say that Bathsheba's baby was, was had a congenital illness and was born with something that that baby was going to die from anyway. In that mm -hmm. scenario, Ned is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. God didn't kill the baby. God just didn't save the baby from dying, mm -hmm. which he could have done. And in that scenario, God is not actively punishing. Mm -hmm. He is just not intervening to not punish. 
Now, this is a huge argument that we could have for the next 12 weeks about whether or not God actively intervenes in disciplining you. And the Bible is clear he does. God mm -hmm. does discipline you. And discipline you can take to mean a lot of different things. But here's what my point is here, is that if you're a true believer of Jesus, <clears throat> does that mean you're going to have a great life with no problems for the rest of, of your earthly life? Yeah. No, no. You are being trained for eternity. You are being trained for eternity to, to be a mature disciple of Jesus. And sometimes that means taking your bitter pill. I agree 100% with what Ned is saying. A lot of the problems we have, we bring on ourselves. And as a consequence of our own sin and our own poor actions, we're about to see the snowball of David's consequences, of his actions. Uh, his his f four subsequent sons will die. The first is the baby, and then the three other sons. Um, it happens. We, we do this to ourselves, but, but there's a, a great saying, the strongest and sharpest swords are forged in what? Fire. The hottest fire. You will be a very mature Christian if you can take the slings and arrows of your own problems and of others and you can deal with them maturely. It also helps you relate to other people going yes. through tough times. Let's do that. So there's an ancillary yep. benefit. <laughs> benefit. It's a great thing if I could get cancer, then I could help other people with cancer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it great that Jesus was a carpenter and not an aristocrat? Why? Because I can understand relating to someone who's poor and misunderstood and a marginalized person of society a lot better than I can understand being rich and famous. <laughs> God steps in though when necessary. Yep. To protect. Okay. And he's never late. He's always <laughs> right. Perfect timing. And Where? then all you could do on a given situation, mm -hmm. and if you don't step in, it ain't gonna happen. The part where you wrote like our, well, like earlier I said about how Davidson didn't just impact himself, yep. you know, it impacted many other people. And then in this chapter, I think it shows that like he he hurt, like God is part of the, the people that he hurt. Yeah. Because yeah. God tells him, I made you king of Israel, and if that had not been, you know, I gave you all these things, if that had not been enough, yeah. I would have even given you more. Like, wow. he's like, you hurt me. Yeah. Like, I could, gave you everything that you have, and that wasn't good enough for you. You still had I to go that. steal someone, you know, that didn't belong to you. And I think that's why his consequences are so strong, mm -hmm. because he's like, you hurt me. I'm God who has always sustained you and protected you and given you everything. And... It's easy to see God as some mythological being, maybe that, um, maybe stoic like a computer, has no feelings. Ned, are you made in the image of God? Yes. What are God's attributes? What are your attributes? What are my attributes? What kind? What is your character? What kinds of things? Because I'm supposed to say no. <laughs> <laughs> There's no trick questions. No trick questions. Um. Who is Ned? <laughs> <laughs> right now? Sure, right now. I'm a boxer. Boxer, okay. Um, so you're a fighter. You like you like to contend. Yeah. What else? Um <laughs> I'm a friend. You're a friend, okay. So you value relationships. Yes. Okay. Um, 
father. Excellent. Your um, father. Excellent. Okay. Um, so you value family. I'm a son. Your son. Excellent. Um, I'm also a brother. Excellent. Uh, and I'm me. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And you are made in the image of God. And I would, I would argue that God is all of those things too. Mm-hmm. Values relationships. He's a father, right? He's a creator. You created a son, right? He has emotion. He has emotion. Guess what? <laughs> you can't read the Old Testament and not say God doesn't have emotion. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord your God. Is, I am a jealous God. Jealous God. He's passionate. He's, he's wrathful, and he is also full of forgiveness and love and mercy. He loves. He's got a I, huge heart. I look at a lot of these, these stories, and David, of course, comes yeah. to first to mind because we're looking at that. But um, Ned mentioned free will. Yeah. And if ever there's a case where God allows free will, this is it. I mean, yeah. it's tr- I mean, David is truly going off on his own, doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. God would not... God would not you know, predestined David to commit adultery and murder and do all Thank these you. things and then restore him. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, God's just using David's mistakes and correcting them and still doing his own plan. It, it isn't that David, David could have done the right thing and God still would have put his, the right descendant. You know, it, David didn't need to cheat with Bathsheba and kill Uriah in order to get Solomon. Solomon could have come through a legitimate relationship, but but God still used his mistakes to keep his plan in, in place. Yeah, there's nothing that we can do that will disrupt God's plan. Right. God, God has a way to use what we've done, even if it wasn't something of good intent to bring about His will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How hard is it to understand that? <laughs> How hard is it to understand our mistakes can be used? Interesting. In, in verse 5 and 6, after Nathan tells him the story, David's like, surely this man must die. He must make restitution. And then all of a sudden he realizes it's him. And he goes, oh, but wait. You know, he doesn't really. And then he remembers. I mean, it's not, it's not like he's living a necessarily a, double sta- a little bit of a double standard, I guess. Surely that man must die, but then he realizes that, that God's going to make that restitution for him mm. later on. Because, mm. I mean, that, that's my attitude typically. Like, this guy, you know, he deserves to lose his job. Or he yep, that's to, exactly it. Yep. You know, whatever it is. But then if I do something, I'm like, oh, have mercy on me, God. You know? <laughs> it's easy to cut someone else off in traffic and then blame that same person later for cutting you off, right? Like, how dare you? I think um, I know that like half this board I can relate to in life, and I'm just not getting to celebrating God's grace. Yep. And knowing, uh, just knowing who I am. When you did ask me right who I am, I didn't think of it. I just recently found out who I was um, in God's God's eye. Um, my name is Ned Gardner the Fifth. You know, um, I kind of found out that the number five meant biblically meant grace and faith, if I'm not mistaken. And I used to hate my name mm-hmm. a lot. But then when I understood it, 
of why I had so much favor on my life with all the things I was doing and going through, it kind of made more sense and I started embracing my name more. And now awesome. I really love my name and I love God a lot. That's an awesome story, Ned. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, no problem. You know, it, you should know that in the Bible, your name carries a lot of meaning. And in fact, the name of God means something very deep. It's not just the thing people call you by, it's your character. Yeah. It's who you are. Your name defines who you are. And so that's great. It's awesome, brother. Thanks. And I'll tell you, I'm still trying to understand this. <laughs> I don't know about you, but 47 years in, still thinking about what this means. I think when confronted with, with his sin, David shows that he's finally chosen the right choice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when he's confronted with Nathan, like, you know, Saul was confronted by Samuel, yeah. and he would always try and place the blame on someone else. Yep. And at least at this point, oh, when Jesus he's finally confronted with his sin, he says, I've sinned against the Lord. And, you know, yeah. that's a good example for us of what we should do. Like, first of all, we shouldn't sin in the first place, but if we yeah. do, we need to, like, acknowledge it and take the... Yeah. And have you, I have not, have you read Psalms in correlation with the story of David? You know, if he wrote, wrote mm -hmm. most of Psalms. Yeah, right? many. And, and in fact, many are attributed to specific acts. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and so you can probably, you know, if he wrote those and that's mm -hmm. his heart, mm -hmm. you can probably, like Laura's saying, see how he's really feeling mm -hmm. in each of these instances, mm -hmm. you know. I highly recommend you read the Psalms again. Um, Psalms should probably be a regular part of your Bible study. I, I can't think of anything better in the Bible to understand God's grace and mercy and his love for us. And, and the true like, <laughs> the true character of some of the people of the Bible, David included. Um, remarkable. Abs and it get me through a lot of tough times. Okay? I think it's, it's kind of, well, <clears throat> this is a totally different thing, but... Um, it's interesting how, like, why God chooses to love. Like, it says that the Lord loves Solomon, like, from mm -hmm. his birth. And it's interesting because, like, the Lord loved Jacob, but Jacob yeah. but despised Esau. Mm -hmm. I think those are always things that I'll never understand. Like, we, aren't, we won't understand why that is. Like, why is Solomon special from birth? I don't yeah. know. He just is, you know? I guess my Bible says Psalm 51 is what he wrote. <coughs> right after Nathan confronted him. Excellent. Okay. Um, oh my gosh, I turned right to How? That is so weird. I turned right to it. <laughs> so, you know, just you read that and you can just see how Solomon, unlike David, unlike Saul, grieved when he realized that he had sinned. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, God, you guys know that song, right? Mm -hmm. And renew a right spirit within me. That's Psalm 51, folks. There's a, there's a sense here of, <clears throat> so, all of a sudden now David's back. He gathers all the people and went to Ramah. Mm -hmm. he's, he's like, oh, th that's right. I'm supposed to yeah, be kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wake up. I love it. Thank you. Cool. That's part of the chapter, though. And then Joab back on track. Back on track. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Like that's, that's Hebrews 12 says, you know, put aside every sin and encumbrance that entangles us and fix your eyes on Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
It doesn't say dwell on your sin, make amends for it, you know, feel bad. Yep. Go tell everybody you're sorry. It mm -hmm. says put it aside and fix your eyes back on yeah. Jesus. Back on Love it. Here he goes, okay, God made me the king. Now I gotta go do king stuff. Stop sulking. Learn your lesson. Accept God's mercy, celebrate his grace, and move on with your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week.